Bex, thanks so much for um, coming on the, the podcast and talking to us. I appreciate you must be really busy uh, just now with the lead up to COP. Um, but could you um, give us a bit of background in terms of, of, of your background and, and also where you're working or who you're working for just now in terms of um, the Race to Zero? Yeah, no problem at all. Um, thank you for having me, first off. Um, so yeah, my name's Bex Porter and I guess uh, by trade, I'm a structural engineer. Um based in the northeast for uh, and work for Arup. Um, but for the past year, I've been seconded into the UN high-level climate champions team. Um, so this team, it, it's a role that basically started at COP21 in Paris, um, where governments agreed that they really needed to mobilise stronger, more ambitious action in, in what we call the non-state actor Mm. Um, sector. So anything that's not a national government, be it city, region, uh, business, university, for example. And so it was agreed at Paris that there needed to be more importance placed on non-state action. Um, and so this role of UN high-level climate champion uh, was formed. Um, the climate champions basically work in pairs. They work as an incoming and an outgoing champion. Um, so at the moment, um, the champions are Nigel Topping mm. for the UK, which is classed as incoming because the UK hold the presidency this year. And then Gonzalo Munoz from Chile, who's the outgoing champion. And between them, they've set up the climate champions team. And it's within that that I lead the built environment team for COP26. Right. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's, that's quite a, that's quite a, an impressive and, and challenging remit, I guess. So do, so do you work with academic institutions? You work with, you said, non-state um, partners. So is that academia, does that involve, sorry, does that involve commerce and, and business as well? Yeah, very much so. I mean, a lot of our focus is on, is on business, particularly because I'm looking after built environment. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of supporting partners, we've, we've really relied this year on a lot of um, support and help from from some NGOs like the World Green Building Council, Global Alliance for Buildings and Construction, um, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, uh, C40 Cities, and also the Resilience Shift. Those kind of five core partners have really helped us frame what ambition for the built environment should look like. And our predominant focus is on business, um, so different stakeholders within the value chain for built environment, but also cities and regions as well. And, and I guess one of the things that we've been talking about here in, in, in this podcast is the importance of the built environment and climate change. And, and we think it's been um, overlooked perhaps in, in the last few years. Can you give us your take on how important it is before we come on to actually what those actions are in terms of, mm -hmm. the, um, in terms of the race to zero and, and, and what you're looking at agreeing with organisations? How, how important do you think the built environment is? Um, I completely agree with you. Hugely important. And the fact that we have built environment on one of the theme days at COP yeah. Um, is partly in thanks to some of those NGOs that I mentioned where they wrote a letter to Alok Sharma back in 2020 to say, you know, we really need to um, put built environment kind of on the map. Um, in terms of the impact of built environment, it, I think it's twofold. If we just think about mitigation and mm. greenhouse gas emissions, the buildings and construction sector is responsible for 
38%, so almost 40% of global CO2 emissions, um, and also 35% of global final energy demand. So to meet the Paris Agreement, to make the changes globally, it cannot be done without tackling built environment. That's just a given. Um, and I think you're right. It has been sort of the sleeping giant, if you like, um, that hasn't been at the forefront of people's minds um, in, in recent times. There's also then the challenge of urbanization and what we're going to see in the future. So I think it's 1.6 billion urban dwellers are going to be exposed to high temperatures by 2050. Um, and the buildings that will stand in 2050, half of them that are needed for population growth don't even exist yet. So we have this kind of twofold problem where we need really resilient houses because the climate is going to be different. The impacts of climate change are going to be huge. You know, we could be jeopardizing basically shelter and housing for people. But those buildings don't yet exist. So we have this kind of opportunity to not lock in emissions yeah. in order to meet that future problem. Yeah. So it's, I think it's actually quite a narrow gap that we have to meet that challenge. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's hugely important. And I think, you know, the next COP um, after the UK will be held in Africa. And I think we'll re really see... Um, or hopefully we'll really see focus on the need um, to focus on the built environment. Um, I think 90%, yeah, I've got written down here, 90% of um, urbanization and population growth is going to take place in Asia and Africa wow. by 2050. Yeah. So it's hugely important. So so that's interesting because that opportunity exists for, as you say, the urbanization of, of, of large populations and, and perhaps the... The, the 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 developing world for yeah. want of a better a better term but back to the UK and I think it's interesting because you mentioned mitigation and we talk about mitigation we talk about resilience as well and I think that the debate in the UK for housing and buildings has largely been about mitigation yeah. but I wonder if you can maybe shed some light on some of the resilience that we need to look at and particular things like buildings that, that you know we're big advocates I think quite open and honest big advocates of passive house in terms of um uh, residential dwellings and, and for educational purposes as well but what, what are some of the resilience strategies that we'll need to adopt within an existing stock and perhaps some within the new build stock because again I think you're right I think we've a really small window to get it right yeah I think in the UK the focus on mitigation you know that that is the right one yeah um we are a developed nation where the issues we need to deal with are around retrofit and refurbing the stock that we have, not around new build and meeting new demand. Um, so I think that is the right focus. But yeah, everybody's seen sort of even in the UK in the past, even just this summer, you know, the extreme heats that yeah. we've fit, that we've um, that we've had, the flooding that we've had. You know, these climate shocks, if you like, or the impacts of climate change are only going to continue. Um, and I think it needs collaboration across kind of the value chain. Mm. We need to be working with cities and with um, developers who hold kind of larger portfolios, maybe, to think about um, flood prevention schemes at a much larger scale and look across a city scale or look across a um, 
I'm not sure, like a housing development scale, yeah. for example, rather yeah. than on a case by case basis. Yeah, because you you really for for that type of strategic planning, you really need to engage with government and 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 local government to to try and implement, I suppose, viable strategies across regions. Piecemeal, I suppose, won't won't really um, won't really cut it. Um, in terms of COP, there's a huge amount of excitement, and and uh, I mean I say excitement, but we have to remember what's what's at stake here, and it is a particularly um, particularly challenging world in terms of the, the the climate emissions that we have to um, that we have to make. Um, is there anything at COP that you think translates directly into the built environment in the UK, or largely is COP about some of the bigger challenges about developing nations against things like coal in India and China? Or is there something that we could see as a trickle-down effect from what's agreed at a UK level at COP? Um, that's a really good question. I think there is a lot of buzz in the UK for COP this year because the UK government hosts the presidency. Um, it's fantastic that it's going to be in Glasgow. And I think all of a sudden, a lot of businesses and you know private sector um private sector actors basically have have opened their eyes to what this thing called COP is because it just so happens to be in the UK. UK yeah. Um but yes, you're right. The focus is on on country commitment. This is the COP since Paris where countries need to bring their nationally defined contributions, um, which was you'll have seen in the press, some have been released already ahead of COP. So we need to remember it's not kind of a business conference. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, not, yeah. you know, a place for CEOs to just stand up and yeah. say what they're up to. Um, but at the same time, that non-state actor pressure, I think, is going to be really powerful this year. Yeah. So by non-state actors, by businesses and local governments kind of setting out their ambition, what they're effectively doing is sending that demand signal to the policymakers to say we're ready um, and give the confidence to the policymakers that if they make ambitious step changes in those agreements and, and NDCs, that actually the non-state actor community um, can meet the challenge, if you like. Yeah. Um, at the moment, we're seeing business um, And again, that's kind of that ambition yeah. loop that will then hopefully Mean, I, th I think that's a really good point. It's almost it's almost like having a fertile environment for policies, so that policymakers with confidence can can implement and implement those policies in in a, in a way that they know they'll be implemented. And I think I think you're right uh, about, about businesses. It's quite it's quite heartening to see businesses now uh, detailing or setting their stall out in terms of how conscious they are environmentally, whether that be even travel and having a Zoom meetings. Um, it's one thing about the pandemic, isn't it, that it certainly must have got down a significant amount of something needless travel to, to, to different places. So so that's really interesting. So, so getting down, I mean, I think it's great that we've got a built environment day at COP. Could you tell us a wee bit more about, because I think sometimes navigating, people often email me, and especially from, I've got colleagues and friends in, in, in the States and, and and they're asking, what, what can we come and see? Could you maybe give mm -hmm. us a flavour for some of the things that are going to be on show? Yeah, certainly. Um, so Cities, Regions and Built Environment Day will be on the 11th of November. So it's the last theme day. It's the second Thursday. Um, and there's a whole host of things that will be that will be happening, but I'll, I'll share a couple. So obviously the, the predominant focus 
at COP is the negotiations. And by that stage, it should be the very end of the yeah. negotiations. Although I think in previous years, <laughs> that hasn't yeah. been the case. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the kind of non-state actor community, there's, I guess there's sort of different spaces you can consider. So there's the blue zone, which is where the yeah. negotiations happen. It's very high security. It's where a lot of high profile policymakers will be at COP. And within that blue zone, there's what you call the presidency space. So it's the um, it's the space that's owned by the COP, well, not owned, but organized by the COP presidency in collaboration with UNFCCC. Hmm. Um, and in that space on cities, regions and built environment day, um, we've helped as the champions, we've helped uh, Bays, who are leading the day for UK government to coordinate three big presidency events. Um, the first will be um, on deep collaboration that will kick off the day. And that's going to be a panel that spans across the value chain. So it'll be a minister, a mayor. There will be um, private sector. So there'll be kind of CEOs from construction, CEOs from finance. And they'll really speak to the fact that to, to create the change we need to see in the built environment, it needs everyone yeah. to collaborate together. So that's going to kick off the day, which is going to be great. And then um, in the afternoon, there's a segment spotlighting subnational action. So how regions can um, help businesses and help the built environment sector to go further faster. And then in the end of the day, there'll be a ministerial and mayoral discussion called buildings as a critical climate solution. So really, you know, getting the policymakers to speak to the fact that they need to tackle um, buildings as part of their climate solution. So that's the presidency space. And then the other key space in the blue zone is the climate action zone, which is coordinated by the champions. Um, and we'll have two hours, I think it's two hours 45 now, um, to coordinate events in that space, of which we're going to have a built environment leaders panel um, where we're, we're getting architecture, um, construction, investment, developers, um, kind of different players across the value chain, again, to speak to that similar message. How are you meeting the sector kind of near term 2030 goals? Um, and how are you collaborating in order to do so? So there for people in the blue zone. Um, in the green zone, however, anyone can access the green zone. So you can apply and the general public can apply for tickets. Um, and there'll be a whole host of different events but also exhibitions that run for the full two weeks um, so for example one of the exhibitions is being hosted by c40 cities and arab and it uses a virtual engage headset um, to spotlight different cities around the world and the action that they're taking on um, on climate so that's going to be a great one for bringing sort of global perspectives into the green zone at glasgow um, and then there's also a virtual pavilion, which is being hosted by UK Green Building Council. Again, anyone can access that. Um, and that'll be events and ex exhibits of exemplar buildings. And that's so, so can this is so we've got the blue zone, which is the, and, and it's interesting because staying in Glasgow, just stay outside of Glasgow, 
Um, there's there's this um, small city developing uh, just around the ICC. <laughs> yeah. um, but what's really interesting for folk that don't know, the UN will actually control that area. That, that area will become essentially UN territory um, over the course of the two weeks. So anyone thinking they can they can uh, wander <laughs> into the hydro, they'll have to think again. But can those events, can those leaders events, and that's really what that is, that's high level collaboration across sectors and leaders, can, will they be streamed live? Is that something we can we can watch? Or because um, I think some of those would be really interesting. Yeah, it's a good question about the presidency events. And I, and I don't know the answer to that, but certainly for the climate action zone for them, um, it, they're basically Marrakesh partnership events yeah. and they'll be put online afterwards. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's, that's great. And anything else? So there's lots of, there are lots of things if anyone's out there and, and hasn't booked, there's things you can get on. Is it even, even bright? I think the, um, the, the, um, uh, there's tickets available. So there's lots of things on there and, and on the podcast, we'll put up a link to anything that, that, that people can, uh, people can access. Um, Bex, thanks for coming on. It's, it's, it's kind of, almost almost we're almost out of time is this must be an incredibly busy time for you just now thanks for for taking time out is there any final message you want to kind of leave us with in terms of what we should be doing around the built environment it's clearly important but some of the things that we can do or should be looking at whether it's at local authority whether it's at company level um i think one of the things you mentioned was collaboration yeah i mean one thing i'd love to point your listeners to is the race to zero hmm. so this is a un backed um global campaign to really align um, net zero carbon commitments, science-based net zero carbon commitments, I should say, um, to be net zero by 2050 at the very latest with, you know, a near term, a near kind of halving of emissions by 2030. Um, In the built environment, um, we're actually launching our press release today to say that we've um, reached 20% globally of architects and engineers, for example. Um, Also that we've reached um that the number of construction companies joining the race has doubled in the wow. lead up to cop um and in the uk um uk gbc have done a real push for us with their membership and we have seen huge momentum we've got a fantastic number of uk contractors Great. in the race um but the interesting thing i think for built environment and it comes back to what you were saying about no one fully if we're not in the sector no one fully comprehending the sector i think from the outside view it's okay you can speak to built environment a single stakeholder can speak to built environment and actually we know the many many moving parts that are needed to get a project off the ground to get it funded to get it procured all the different contract types etc um so in the race to zero it is your corporate emissions so it is your businesses scope one two and three now we have had some comments that say well for an architect for example does that matter because it's not what they do on projects where they obviously have their most um their their highest proportion of impact however it's it's again that demand signal it shows that you've got your own house in order it gives you credibility when you speak to your clients um but where it does have an even bigger impact is when we get developers into the race. So anyone who is the real estate investment or the real estate asset managers, their business scope three, for example, for a new build, yeah. will include the embodied carbon of that new build because it's effectively a bought product. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I think the race to zero is really impactful in our sector. Yeah. And we do have some 
large investment firms and asset managers, developers like British Land, Landset, Derwent, for example, legal and general investment management, just thinking in the UK, who are in the race. And that's really exciting because they now need to basically halve their emissions yeah. by 2030. And those emissions include the embodied carbon of yeah. any new build or major retrofit. So designers and design teams are going to start to see this trickling down yeah. um, into their briefs. That's a really, and I, I wonder, not to be too controversial, I, I wonder whether that's something that then, in the same way that other factors are taken into consideration with things like public procurement or the procuring of, of company, I wonder if that's something that maybe could emerge over the coming years as, as, as something as a standard that we would expect to see if you look at public sector procurement and what, what, what the public sector buys in terms of products. You know, we we already have things like the living wage and and, and various different other initiatives. Um, that's something that could that could actually be a really interesting concept around that. Yeah, Those definitely. Sectors. Yeah, I mean, we've got cities in the UK who are in the race, um, yeah. and then, I mean, for London, for example, um, in the the Greater London Plan, that they, they do ask mm. for embodied carbon calculations now of any new build. So that's a local planning authority putting that in place. And there's states in America, there's, I think France is bringing it in in 2023. So we will start to see those yeah. being requirements. And it, and it, I think it'd be really exciting if it was a procurement requirement um, well, in the same way, way that we kind of judge cost. That's maybe something. And I think, I think without, um, I think one of the things that is now starting to become um, uh, more talked about, especially within construction and especially within the new build market, is operation, operational carbon is great if you can reduce that. If you can use things like passive house and, and new builder interfit and retrofit, that's that's great. But I guess the elephant in the room has been about how much carbon does it does it cost to actually get that structure in place. So mm -hmm. that's something that I think is uh, you're proposing there that could at least address that. But it's it's a it's a massive amount, isn't it, in terms of the carbon that uh, the average new builder structure uh, actually takes up? Yeah, hugely. And and the more that our energy sources sources become decarbonized for kind of yeah. electricity and operational emissions, the bigger piece of the pie if you like the embodied becomes yeah i mean we've, we've we've kind of solved the operational part i mean whether you adopt it or not we you know we know how yeah. to do that you know air tightness um you know mitigation of bridges all that kind of stuff but you're right it's whether where we ship materials from and how we actually produce those materials it's probably the, big, the bigger the bigger question in the future bex thank, thanks so much for taking time out it sounds really exciting what you're going to do i wish you the best of luck with it and uh uh, if you're going to be in Glasgow, give us a shout. There's another, just I want to get a shout in because there's a there's an event just down by the riverside. It's not in the blue zone. It's in the green. It's in, I think it's not actually in the green zone either. It's in the, um, uh, it's it's in a, adjacent to the River Clyde and it's the COP26 house, which is a really interesting concept around natural building materials. Um, so I'll put the link up of that on the website. I think you can, I think you can just walk in. I'm not entirely sure, but I'll put some, some links up. But that's, that's, particularly relevant when we're talking about embodied carbon to look at how we use natural materials in a way that's more more sustainable. But Bex, just want to thank you. It's, it's been great having you on. Thanks very much for your time. No worries. Thank you.